Before we get into this episode, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy listening to this show, please take a second to leave a review. It will help boost the show so that others struggling in a toxic workplace can find it. You can also go to my website, ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com, to send me a message, or if you have a story to share, send a submission request. Your story will be completely anonymous, and it will help thousands of listeners manage their own toxic work experience. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace Antidote Edition. In these Antidote podcasts, I speak with professionals and thought leaders that are paving the way for healthier work environments and personal health. I have with me Zanika Chapman. She is a professional coach helping women rediscover their inner strength and confidence after encountering workplace bullying. She had her own toxic workplace experience, and she's here to talk to us about that experience and how she helped herself through it and how she helps others to find their value and chase their dreams. Zanika, thank you so much for coming on to my podcast. Well, I have to thank you for creating this platform. It's, I mean, every time I kind of hear you go through your intro, I'm, I'm always like, yes, yes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I really love doing it because it not only empowers my guests that come on and share their experience, but the amount of people that have reached out to me and said this podcast has helped them through an experience or validated their experience. It's been very fulfilling. I started this podcast not really knowing if it would catch on or people would listen, but my audience has been very receptive, which tells me that there is a serious problem with our work culture and it needs to change. I wish I had the answer. It just seems so overwhelming and it just seems like such a huge problem. I think the change starts with being aware of these stories. I just actually had the same thought today of like, gosh, how do we really, really do this? But I think you're right. It starts with awareness. It starts with knowing that you're not alone, understanding that I, you know, I'm not making this up. Like this system and this structure is impacting people, other people in the same way that it impacted me. But that's why I think like your platform is so important and so needed. And I love how you share just like the raw stories from people. I was listening to the, <laughs> the New Year episode and I heard when the woman said, you know, I need to get an office job. And I was shaking my head like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Right. And people in the office are like, gosh, I wish I had like a different job. I wish I worked at the mall or, you know, like no one, it, the grass isn't always greener. But for many of us stuck in a toxic workplace, The grass probably is greener. It doesn't get much worse than being in a toxic workplace. And so your line of work, you specifically help empower women get through toxic work situations and basically find themselves. But before we dive into that, I want to start with your story. And I always like to start with what was your mentality going into this place? Where were you in your life when you first got this job? What were you expecting? And then what happened that made you realize that it was bullying and racially fueled bullying? Yeah. So I was in my late 20s, early 30s. It was around the time where you really started to think about, you know, you're not quite in the entry-level position, but you're not quite ready for management and leadership. You're in that kind of in-between stage. And I felt like I had done everything right. I had researched the companies. I was following them on LinkedIn. I was meeting people within those companies, trying to make connections. And I finally landed an interview with my dream company. And not only the interview, but I landed the job. I was so proud of myself. This was the moment where I felt like I have arrived Everything that I have been working for has led me to this point because I have achieved the dream. I've achieved the dream job and nobody got me here but me, right? I didn't know anybody. It wasn't a networking situation. It was literally off of, I applied for the job, I got the interview and I landed the job and it was great. I wish I could tell you, I knew right off the bat that this was not the place for me, but it was everything that I thought that it was going to be. What about it drew you to this company? Like what made it the shining star of places to work? Yeah, so specifically for me, I actually wanted to, I I had been 
up until that point in my career, I had been in nonprofit. Um, and I had been a nonprofit or government for a really long time. And I really wanted to make the transition to, to the for-profit world, to the corporate world specifically. And this company, along with a few others, um, seemed to be a little bit more progressive. They were doing some innovative things. I wanted to be um, on a team that was going to be highly visible within the company. And I wanted a challenge. And so it was just kind of the perfect storm of, the right company, they had the right reputation in the area and the, the right mix of challenging work and also leadership that made this particular role appealing. How did you feel during the interview process? I felt like, wow, these guys are the upper echelon of the industry. They know their stuff. They're very seasoned and they were very friendly throughout the interview process. So there really weren't a lot of red flags. And it was one of those interviews where I actually got to meet the entire team. So it wasn't a situation where I had to ask to meet people. They introduced me to the entire team right away. Everyone was very engaging, allowed me to ask whatever questions I needed to ask. There was really this sense of openness and transparency throughout the interview process just checking all the boxes, like check, check, check. It was, I mean, it was checking all the boxes. And so when I finally got the call to join the team, I was elated. <laughs> like all of the fruits of your labor have finally paid off. And this is it. This is like the big break into a successful career. That's what it felt like. It felt, it felt like a movie, Carly. Like it felt like that movie where you're just that young, fresh kid and you land the dream job and you walk in and it's busy and it's got the beautiful marble floors and it's like, you're the girl, right? So it, that's what it felt like. It felt incredible to get this opportunity. So how long were you there before you started to realize maybe it wasn't as it seemed? Yeah, it took about a year and a half. And up until a year and a half, it was still great. I was on one of the most prominent teams within the department. We were a very visible, busy team. The work was very challenging. I felt like my voice was, was a significant contribution to the team. And, and it just felt like an overall team effort. But I will say during that time was when I started to notice some of the bullying behavior creep up. It just wasn't directed at me. Right. When things like that happen, when you have something on a pedestal, you've got stars in your eyes. You almost don't want to acknowledge it, right? You want to just keep your nose to the grind and like keep pushing through. So was it bullying towards other people that you noticed? It was. It was bullying towards other people that I noticed. And I think what I had heard around the company was it was just a different personality. Like these people who were bullying just had a different personality that the, that the rest of us had to learn how to adjust to, that we had to learn how to deal with. And I didn't quite, at this point, I still didn't have a name for it because I'm still thinking, like you said, I'm still in the honeymoon phase. This is a great place to work. I'm trying to recruit all my friends here. You know, that, that sometimes this person just had a different personality. And so... Probably, yeah, about a year and a half into the role, I went into a meeting with leadership and I was told pretty much verbatim, hey, you're the worst person on the team. We've never, we've never had an employee that really is as terrible as you and we don't know what to do with you. What? And so prior to that point, had they ever given you any sort of feedback, anything? No. A few months prior to that, I had just had an annual review. And it was a pretty stellar <laughs> annual review. And so when we got to this point just a few months later, I was floored. But I also was really hurt. But I also had this desire because I respected this group of people so much. And I wanted to be a part of this team. And I wanted to be a productive member of the team that I kind of just said, whoa, I've got to change something here. If I'm the worst person on the team, then I've got to get better. Tell me what to do. And it was almost like this kind of begging sense of tell me what to do. So you believed them. I did. I did. Right off the bat, right off the bat, I believed that I was the worst. I believed that if she said it, I must, it must be true. 
Which just the emotional state of mind you would be in, thinking that you're killing it, you're a hard worker, you've gotten a stellar review, and then out of the blue, they tell you that you're the worst person on the team. It's deliberate. It feels deliberate, right? Like, what was the agenda behind that? I mean, we'll never know. So then how did you present yourself to them after that? So luckily, this happened... um on a Friday. It happened, you know, on the weekend. And so I actually, I, I, I won't, you know, I won't lie to you. I, I cried and there probably were a couple of glasses of wine that Friday night. <laughs> but by Saturday morning, I, I just had this thought. I said, you know what? I'm not going to give up. I decided to join this group and I'm not going to give up. So I kind of was replaying all of the points that were called out. You know, you don't have this, you don't do this, you don't do this. And I wrote a improvement plan. I wrote my own personal improvement plan because that was one of the threats that was made to me during that time. And if anybody, you know, knows knows what a, a, a PIP or a professional improvement plan is in corporate, it's really kind of the documentation that they start to do before they start to walk you out the door, which was also something that was very new to me. I had never even heard of that before in my career. I'd never been threatened with any type of action like that. And so it was devastating. I mean, I had to never have experienced this before, to never really be this close to being let go because of a performance issue. It was devastating. And I kind of decided in that moment that I'm going to put myself on an improvement plan long before I let anybody else dictate to me what an improvement plan should look like. And this included resources that the company had. It included extra time of me working. It included me investing in online courses, which were very new at the time, and not asking the company to do that. Actually, I went ahead and enrolled in several online courses. And I came back into work the following week, and I presented my little improvement plan. And I said, here are the things that I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing outside of work. And I would love to tell you that, that she said to me, wow, this is great. But she looked at it, and she turned her back to me and said, I don't really think it's all that serious. Wow. She didn't even look you in the eye, which right there. But is this the same person that told you you were the worst person on the team? This is the same person that initially told me that. And um, but but then, you know, it, 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 it grew outside of that person. So so there was a culture there that kind of once that conversation was had, it almost felt like it is it's open season on her now. And so there were other people on the team, people within the team, other leaders on the team that then started to say those types of things to me. Um, I was excluded from meetings. So if you can imagine being in, I call it cubicle nation, <laughs> you know, you're just, you're just out on the cube farm. You all sit together because you're all on one team. And so if you could imagine a week ago, you all were teammates together and everybody goes to have coffee and then go to the meeting. If you can imagine everybody getting up and leaving you there and you're kind of saying, well, where, where are you guys going? And it's, well, we're going to the meeting, but it's not on your calendar. Wow. What about HR? Like, was there anybody or an advocate there that you could go to to be like, hey, I feel like I'm working really hard and I've done a great job and out of the blue, this is now happening and I'm being shut out. Was there anybody you could express that to that could help you? So I had gotten some some advice from other teammates in that group who also happened to be employees of color who either left the company of their own volition or were forced to leave and just out of personal friendships and they knew that I still kind of was in, in the company would call, you know, to check in. Hey, how are you doing? And almost as if right on cue, they all kind of started to call and just check in. And I think they could sense in my voice that things had changed because prior to that, when they call it, say, you know, baby, that was just your issue, but I'm doing great. I'm fine. And, and what was unique in what was happening was they started to ask me questions. Is this happening? Is that happening? Has this person said almost verbatim, has this person said X, Y, Z to you? And that was how I kind of knew that there, there was something beyond just bullying and there was something that could have been racially fueled that all of us people of color had had similar experiences to where these people who were months removed from the company could almost ask me questions verbatim to what I was experiencing still being there. And so those friends actually encouraged me to go to HR and 
it was interesting. And I, I learned something very impactful about HR in that experience. But HR told me um, when I said, hey, here are the things that are happening to me and here's how it's making me feel. And here is how now, because of this treatment, it is starting to really impact my performance. And HR said to me, hey, perhaps, you know, this person is just trying to make you a better employee. Maybe this is just maybe this is just her leadership way of making you a better employee. That was the response that I got from HR. Unbelievable, because HR is supposed to be an advocate. I mean, for both sides, it's a it's a hard line to stand on. But if an employee comes to you and says, I'm feeling bullied or this is how this is making me feel. And they say maybe it's just tough love. HR should have been involved in your conversation about not being up to par instead of saying you're the worst person I've ever worked with. Well, I would, I would have thought that HR would have been present for that type of conversation. I submitted that same improvement plan to HR and asked for a meeting where HR could be present. And that meeting never happened. The HR representative never showed up. So I really ended up feeling, as far as the company was concerned, I, I ended up feeling like I was totally on my own in that situation. Yeah, well, it feels like nobody really cares to help you, you know, like, obviously, no one cares enough to do anything about it. But then I just wonder about the leadership of this company, because it's all trickling down from the top, right? Like, if I owned a company and I had an HR department, I would have policies. If somebody talks to you as an HR person and they're being bullied or targeted, we need to address this. You need to take training on this. The fact that this company didn't really have that tells me that the people at the top didn't care enough about their employees. Well, and, and I, I think the company, they, they may not have policies on bullying, but I think the company had policies on harassment and policies on discrimination. I question sometimes, and I know you said earlier, hey, we never know what's in people's head, but I do think that sometimes people of color aren't believed. I think that my my case was just chopped up to that's not what's happening, or or maybe he really believed that perhaps I was taking everything out of context and, and these people were trying to make me a better employee. And I would imagine if the people in HR are white and they don't believe you because they've never experienced it, right? I mean, I would say that has to be one of the biggest issues with discrimination against people of color in the workplace is if you have white people that aren't taking the time to, I don't know, do the research or or find empathy. I'm not sure. I, you know, like you have to then try to convince these people that this is what you're feeling. And I think... If somebody is coming to you to tell you something, there's a reason behind that. Like, you know, like that they're not just coming to complain because nobody wants to go to HR to complain. Nobody. And listen, I think one of the things that I've said to the HR rep, because I have been in leadership, professional development programs, reading books, everything, probably since I graduated college. And I remember looking at him and saying, you know, just for a hobby, like, like I read leadership books for hobbies and I've read a ton of them and I've ten attended a ton of conferences and I've never read not one book that says the way that you make your people better people is to make them feel like crap. And so even if you don't believe whatever reason that I feel like I'm being mistreated, even if you don't believe my reasoning, believe the fact that I'm telling you that as an employee of this company, I am being mistreated. I don't like the way that my, my, my leadership is treating me and talking to me and it's demeaning and it's causing me not to be able to function. And if that is not worth addressing, then I just don't know that, <laughs> that you, you should be in HR, right? Well, and I guess when it comes to HR and performance reviews and open, clear communication with employees, and no matter who you are, if you get a stellar review and for over a year have had no complaints and then one day out of nowhere, your boss tells you you're the worst person, I, I would think anybody would be like, wait a minute, what's going on here? I'm confused, right? And I think if it would have been a confident, cocky guy and someone told that to them, you know, people are going to listen to them. And, and I think as women, 
we don't want to step on toes. And this is something as I get older and I'm more seasoned in the workplace, how I've changed to like not always just assume that the employer is right and that they know more than me because that's that's not the case. Just because you have a title and a seat at the round table, I mean, yes, you have more experience, you have maybe more wisdom and business. And sometimes you don't, right? Let's just call it what it is. I think a, a lot of people who, who who you talk to about toxic workplaces, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't have more experience than you. Sometimes they're not more seasoned than you. Sometimes it's just somebody else liked them a little bit more than they liked you. Yep. And they've just, somehow they have the connection. Somehow, somehow they have something that's gotten them there. I always have to be careful because I don't want people to listen. Like, well, you know, some people work really hard, blah, blah, blah. But in we're talking about toxic workplace people. Like this is in a toxic workplace. It's more likely than not the people that get to the top are just the people that emulate what the leadership does, which is usually bullying, sexism, racism. I mean, like the people that make it to the top in toxic workplace, they're willing to cover up and hide all of the toxicity. I think as women, and you probably know this working with your clients, if we're in disagreement with something, we don't want to disagree or take a stand or say, I don't agree with that. I mean, that's something you have to work on. That's something you have to build and practice, right? Yeah, for sure. So what do you see with your clients? What are some of the biggest challenges that they're dealing with? So the majority of the ladies that I work with are people who have said, you know what, I've been in a toxic work environment. I've been bullied. So I have some type of work work-related trauma and they're trying to come out of that or they, they want to get to the other side of it. So I think what I see mostly in, in them is they were just like me in that they believed in the lies. And so one of the first things that we have to do is really get clear of what's the lie that your toxic workplace has put on you? Because we all have it. And it's usually some version of I'm not good enough. That's us It's usually some thread there, but it, it shows up differently for each of us, but it's along those lines of I'm not good enough for something. And so we have to start to identify what that is because oftentimes too, what we do as women is we'll say, it's not that big a deal. You know, or I just forgave them, but did you really? Or I got a new job, it's behind me, whatever. And you're wondering why you still aren't able to ask questions in meetings or you're still not able to, um, you know, positively disagree or agree to disagree and move forward because you still haven't kind of done the work to really clear yourself, identify what the lies are, replace those lies with truth and start to move forward. Or you're still operating from a place where you haven't really kind of made your truth real. And so another thing that I like to do with my clients is let's make the truth real now. So it's not just, oh, I'm an incredible person and I love me. What do you love about you? What qualifies you for this role? And let's be specific. Let's be specific about the things that qualify you to be where you are. Right. That brings value. Like, here's how valuable you are because you're questioning it because you were in a toxic workplace that ripped away any sort of confidence at some point that you did have. Now you're questioning everything. And your story, I mean, obviously, you're strong, you're direct, you've learned a lot about yourself and other people in all of this. And so it's like making lemonade out of lemons or whatever. <laughs> you, you take the best of a bad situation, taking whatever it was that you're supposed to learn from the situation and working on the specific value points that people have. So how do you uncover that? Like what kind of exercises do you do? Do you have them journal? Do you have group talks? Is it one-on-one? -on -one? Like how do you help people discover that? Yeah. So one of the things that we do inside of my group coaching program is normally people know, Carly, like normally people know the lies. And I'll, so I'll just ask, like, it's one of my favorite coaching questions to ask is what's the lie that your toxic work environment has put in you that you still believe today? Because I knew my, I knew mine right off the bat. One of mine was I was not a good communicator. So at some point I believed that there was no way I should have believed that. So I, I would just challenge people to just answer that question because most of the time people, people know they can pinpoint exactly what it is, what that thought is, what that lie is. And then we walk through a very specific process of 
but is that true? And then what, what is even truer than that? But we also go through, I, I take my clients through a process that's not just that, but a lot of the work that we do too, Carly, is helping women to reimagine or rebuild their identity without the role. Because part of, for me, why her saying that I was the worst person she had ever encountered was so devastating was because so much of who I was was tied up into being at that company, being on that team, being on this very high-functioning team, this very visible team. And that's pretty much all I did. If you were to ask me what I was doing during that time of like, you know, what do you do for fun? I would have been like, I work. That's what I do for fun. And I love it, right? And so a lot of the work we do too is like, okay, you don't have that anymore. So now when you go out into the world, I want you to introduce yourself to people and I don't want you to tell them what you do. Interesting. So it's like, stop identifying with your title at the company or the company itself and focus on who you are outside at the core of your being. Yes. Focus on who you are at the core. And a lot of times for for women specifically, we've lost a lot of that. Our being and our sense of self, gets it gets tied up into the titles of I'm an attorney, I'm a doctor, I'm I'm a PR professional, I'm a mom and I'm a wife. And it's like, well what else are you? Like who are you really? Yes. And how and then how do you create a little elevator speech to present yourself that way, right? Cuz I don't know if I were to go out and introduce myself, I probably would start with being an accountant, honestly, and that's actually really not who I am at all. <laughs> so, um it's interesting because I think the, you identify with your job, which is why it's so hard to go through these situations where you're believing anything this place says to you because they're giving you a paycheck, I, I guess, you know, <laughs> like really it, it boils down to that. They don't own, they don't own you. So when you worked with women, helping them find their value, do you see them making a difference in their own life or making changes or have they come back to you and given you feedback about like how their life has changed since they changed their mindset? Oh yeah, for sure. What what I find is so unique is that when I start working with, with women, it's always around work. It's always around, I was in this really toxic work environment and now I want to know how to be a better employee again because, you know, it broke me and that's my goal. Be a better employee. And then when we start working together, by the end of it, it's, I want to do all these other things. I want to travel more. I take lunch dates with my partner. And I never did that before because those things are, are valuable to me. I even have clients who are like, you know, I date myself now. It's a regular part of just, of, of my week, of my month is, hmm, my weekly date with me is a priority. Or even sometimes it's just, I manage my calendar better because I understand how I like to work and I understand how to prioritize the things that are going to move my career forward. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So now they're making huge strides that they never would have because they found who they are at their core. Absolutely. They start to put work and the job in its proper place. And I think oftentimes when I start working with clients, the job is a priority. It's because we spend so much time at work. So we put it on such this big pedestal. That's why we can't turn it off. That's why people are like, oh, you know, my, my work life creeps into my home life. If you just put everything on equal playing field and think about your, your life that way, like the job is the job and it's got its place. My family's got its place. And maybe if you just elevate family a little bit, if you think about family being a little bit higher in your head, what would you do? How would you work differently? Because family's the interlocking element of society, right? Like you need to have your family to support you. So in the submission that you sent me, you have a list of things that you walk your clients through. So breaking the silence, acknowledging your feelings, finding allies. What are some of the resources that you encourage your clients to use? Yeah, so I think one of the things that um, we haven't talked about yet is you know, a lot of the first, especially when people come to me like in a one-on-one -on -one capacity and it's just them, 
I spend a lot of time just helping my clients to acknowledge what happened to them. Because again, we just as society, we're on to the next thing, right? It's like, whoo, I got the job. I got out of the toxic work environment. And it's like, but I'm good. I, I want to talk about how to like sell better. And I want to talk about how to get the next promotion. And I have to remind them that, hey, you're here for a reason. Like you decided you wanted to get coached by a coach who specializes in workplace trauma for a reason. So why don't we kind of stop and just acknowledge what exactly happened to you? And it's not to tell me the story because people will get stuck in that story. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't want to hear the story. I want you to acknowledge what happened to you. And sometimes it's just providing that space and that safety for people to say, I was in a toxic work environment and I was, I'm embarrassed that I stayed that long. Or I, I am an adult, a fully functioning adult person <laughs> with, with adult responsibilities and I was bullied at work because we don't normally say that. And I remember even the first time I said it because when people think of bullying, we automatically, your brain automatically sees a small child in a hallway, in front of a locker with another small child like towering over them, right? And, and we all are like, we're not for that. We would never allow that. If your kid came home and said, mom, dad, somebody bullied me at school today, we would be ready to set the school on fire. But we watch it happen every day in our workplaces and we don't say anything. And so it's not me kind of doing this work is not just about me. It's about the time that I witnessed a grown man telling another grown man in front of all of his colleagues and people report to him, now you apologize to these people. The same way my mother told me to apologize when I was a child and I misbehaved at school. I could see how humiliating this, how humiliated this man was in that moment, right? And I am embarrassed now to tell you, I didn't say anything. Well, it's also a fear tactic that the leader is using in front of everybody. It's like public shaming. Like, hey, if any of you guys try to pull what he did, it, the same thing is going to happen to you. And so you're not going to ruffle feathers. Like, I am I need to get my paycheck. But you have to remember that it could happen to you. You know, it is hard to stand up in those circumstances. I've been in situations where I'm like, I wish I would have said something in hindsight, as I'm like replaying it in my mind, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. As it's happening in real time, your like brain isn't really catching up to what's going on. And then what are you going to do afterwards? Like walk back in the room and say, hey, you know what I realized just <laughs> happened, right? So it's easy to turn a blind eye. But if you're in a workplace like that, and you see it happening around you, but it's not happening to you, don't think that it's not somehow indirectly affecting you. Absolutely. It 100% affects you because, I mean, to your point, now we're all working from this place of fear. And how are you, how are you going to be your most creative, your most innovative self if you're afraid all the time? And so there, there is a value to that. There, there's, there's a cost to that that I want people to understand that, that there's a cost to the company. There is a psychological cost. There's physical implications for toxic workplaces. We all know that. We all know the effects, the physical effects of stress on the body. But one thing that I think people don't ever really talk about is there are also grave financial implications for people who are being bullied at work. Because oftentimes, those people end up separating from a job without another job. And we all, if you've ever been in that position, you know what, the, what, what that can do to your finances. And so think about it. If we're talking about women who we already know, we, we are already paid less than our male counterparts. Women and pe people of color are already paid less. So you were already making less in the job where you were being subject to abuse. Now you leave without the financial safety of another job while trying to find a job in an emotionally broken state. And then when you're at potential jobs and they're wondering why you didn't have backup, you know, then they're like, oh, were you fired? Or, you know, that's a red flag that they haven't been employed for three months. Like, what's wrong with them? Absolutely. And so how are you even going to present in that interview? And if you don't have the confidence, are you going to have the confidence to negotiate and all these other things that that you need in a, in a job search. Right. Because you're desperate. But yeah, now you're in like a more of a desperate state of like, I really need a job. And, and a lot of times, 
you jump into another toxic workplace if you're still stuck in that mentality. It maybe it's a, a different type of toxicity. At least you're gaining the courage to put you first, to make a decision to get out, and then you're gonna probably get out of the next one even quicker than the first one. Yeah, I think I think you know my my number one piece of advice because people ask me all the time like, what should you do if you think you're being bullied? And my my first piece of advice is to start planning your exit strategy, and that could look different based on everybody's situation. If, if you are a person, and sometimes planning your exit strategy might be. I am going to start saving so that I can put some money away so that I can I can get out of this situation and protect my my sanity as quickly as possible. Um, because I think oftentimes people are always waiting for the next job. And it's like, well, there are other options that that you can do. Part of part of having, I think, an extra strategy is having a good financial plan. So that might work for you. Or it might be it's just maybe really just time for you to start having the conversation with your network, start letting people know, hey, these are the skills that I have. I just want to talk to somebody in your company just so that you can keep your confidence intact so that you constantly have people telling you, hey, you know, I didn't know you did that. Wow, you do all of that? Because all of that matters when you're in a bullying situation because they're going to attack your confidence first. That's how they get you to that place. People stay in these environments because then you get to a place of hopelessness. And I see it all the time of people who, who want to consult with me and, you know, trying to figure out if coaching is the right place for them is you get to a place where you start believing the story that it doesn't matter because every place is like this. And the, tr- and the truth of the matter is that's just not true. And, and sometimes it's just flat out like there, there, is, no, there is no place where I'm going to be happy. So I might as well just stay here. Or sometimes it's, well, I'm believing the lies so much that I'm, I'm never going to get the money I make here someplace else or whatever. I'm never going to get the benefits. or I won't get the flexibility. And usually it's like people who are in really bad bullying situations. It's like, but none of that stuff matters if you're not happy. Like, what are you, what are you really trading for this? either paycheck, benefits, flexibility, like what are you really, what are you willing to keep trading for that? And I think that that is also one of the benefits of coaching is because you have someone who is kind of not going to really believe that story. And sometimes I hate describing coaching like this, but it's like, I'm not your homegirl. Like, I'm not here to make you feel good and just be like, yeah, girl, everywhere sucks. I'm really here to challenge you so that you can start to explore other opportunities that really are available to you. That's the hard work that they have to do. And that's a good coach. A good coach is is not your best buddy. They're the ones that push you and it's really uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to stand back and look at why you're staying and and it usually is like an insecurity thing or a, a courage thing or some sort of dependency on your perception of what this workplace is. But like you say, what what's the trade-off here? I mean, so so you take a pay cut, but now your sanity, your health, your happiness is all restored. The money's gonna come easy when you're in that state of mind. It's hard when you're in it. And I think that's that's the hardest part of this is the people that are in the midst of it and maybe they don't realize it's toxic or they, they've dealt with it so long that it is normal. And I know it is hard. It is so hard when you're in it. But even if, you, if you're at a small company, go talk to somebody at a different company. You know, find, find your friend on social media who, who annoys you by always posting about how great her company is and go sit in that, like, go sit with her. Go be with other people, go to other places, or, or even if you're in a larger company, maybe it's time to shadow another team just so that you can see, hey, is this a company thing or is this a team thing? We don't want people sitting in toxic situations for years and years at a time. That will take years off your life, but follow your frustration or, or really just think about, have I decided that this is what I want to be doing? For the next 10 years, if I look around at this company and this culture, can I do this for another five years, two years? Sometimes for me, it was like, I can't do this another six weeks. I'm out of here. And if the answer is yes, just make sure that you like your answer. If the answer is yes, then now it's why. 
well, why am I willing to accept this type of abuse for however long the duration is? And then just make sure you like your answer. It should feel good. Your answer should feel relieving. If you don't feel lighter and happier perked up after you think that through, then you made the wrong decision. I mean, that's intuition, right? Like listening to your gut. That's right. And I, I think that that's another key element of the work that I do is just helping people to tap back into that part. Because it's not something we talk about in corporate. You start talking about intuition and feelings and all of that, and people will walk you right out the door because this is work. And, you know, we, we say it all the time at work, check your feelings at the door. Well, do you want me to check my humanity and everything else along with it? Maybe that's why this this workplace is so toxic. Maybe it's time for us to bring some feelings back in here. And so we're taught at work to really kind of take all of that stuff, we'll leave it at the door so that it makes it easier for you to accept this abusive situation that I'm going to put you in. And so, I th and that's another big part of the work that I do is really spending the time to help, to help my clients go, now, how does that feel to you? And I don't stop at, oh, it feels good. No, tell me what you're feeling in your body. Because I want you to know, because one of the biggest fears that people have when we start working together is that they're going to go into the next job and it's going to be just like this. And so part of the tools that, that we build is, no, I want you listening to your body so that you know exactly how it feels now when something doesn't feel right to you so that you don't ignore it. And whatever that feeling is, mine is literally, I get nauseous. Like, I feel like whatever, you know how your stomach drops when you go on the roller coaster? I, that's what I feel. But when things feel good to me, I literally feel heat all the way through my body. From my feet all the way up in my chest, it's just like, I'm hot. I'm coming out of my clothes. I'm that hot. Yeah, literally on fire. I am literally on fire. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. And so I, I, I spend time making sure that my clients understand that. And being aware, but to be aware of that. And being aware and being fully present because we talk a lot about mindfulness and but being fully present, right? Like, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I not hearing that people are telling me? Yes, and when you're wrapped up in that toxic workplace mentality and you're, you're not really feeling the fire or you're feeling the nausea, but you know what's cool about that, though, Carly, is for, for, for my clients, once you've felt it, you can't deny it ever again. And so now you know exactly what that feels like. And that's, I mean, that's a tool. That's power in so many ways. You know, it's even in family life and other relationships with people understanding how to be in those situations. Going through a toxic workplace, you learn so much about yourself. It's a long road. Some people it's longer for others, but um, it can be a blessing in disguise. And I'm sure people would want to smack me for saying that. <laughs> well, I agree with you. I mean, my, mine has. I, I, I don't think that it's not an experience I would ever want to live again. And I, 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 can't, I get so brokenhearted every time Someone says, gosh, that happened to me too. I was bullied at work. I can relate to that. And so it's not a situation I ever want to live again, but I don't, I mean, I would not be the woman that I am right now had I not gone through that situation. I would not have the conviction of, I will never watch another adult be bullied at work and not say something or not address it. And I, I have decided to pick, to pick up that mantle. So yeah, while it's still scary for everyone else, I understand that, but I know the impacts of that on the other side. And so I don't know that I could ever live with myself if I witnessed that ever again and didn't speak up. Oh, absolutely. If I saw somebody going through what I went through, now I would speak up, but I don't think people have talked about it as much as they're talking about it now. No. And that's part of why I started doing this work was I went through what I went through, right? And I, I just chopped it up to toxic workplace or bad leadership or just the way it is. Deal with it. It's corporate America. And I actually, I was, I was having some drinks with some girlfriends and I, we were joking about it and they were like, you know, Hey, how are you doing? And I kind of jokingly said like, you know, I just feel like I was bullied. 
And that word would not leave me. And I went home and I Googled. I was like, workplace bullying, is that a thing? Do people get bullied at work? Because I feel like I was bullied at work. And I was floored by like the returns on Google. Like there is a whole workplace bullying institute in the States. There's another version of it in Canada. And there are institutions all over the globe that are researching bullying tactics in workplaces. So it works for the economy, right? Like bullying has worked. To me, it's like the systemic issues that we're facing, right? And like racism being a huge one. And that is one that as a white person and the places that I've worked have been predominantly white. And when I started this podcast, I didn't know how to talk about it because I had never really been faced with that. You know, I'm learning more and more every day. People don't want to talk about it. And I think that's a huge part of the issues that we're seeing in the toxic workplace. It's just kind of swept under the rug. And then for people to call people out on that, I don't think we're there. Who's going to stand up against the management that's racist? In comparison, and maybe not on the same scale, but it would be like a woman being sexually harassed and somebody standing up to the person who sexually harassed her, if that person's in management, and nobody really has the guts to do that. Mm-hmm. One thing I do want to say is I think why this is so impactful, though, is that you do feature other voices. And so other people who may have had the same experience as you, yes, they've been in toxic workplaces, but maybe they've never, they've never experienced corporate America from the perspective of a person of color gets to hear that story and gets to understand what that feels like, right? Especially when you look across the table and and the, the stark difference you see is color. And I think that that is so important because people love to tell people of color, I don't see color. Really? So what do you do at a, what do you do at a red light? So you're basically telling me that I'm making this up in my head because you don't see color. And it diminishes the fact that it, it, it takes away my experience because you, you want to dismiss it. I think the people that use the excuse of I don't see color see it as some sort of easy button to avoid having the hard conversations or facing maybe their own racism because it is really a challenging thing to face and it's hard to talk about. But if we don't openly talk about these things, if we don't talk about how somebody receiving that message diminishes their experience, then we're never going to be able to help or fix the problem. Well, and I think that's why, you know, having diverse workplaces are so important. And I think having leadership teams and not even leadership teams, having employees that understand the power of diversity. um, I think that that's so important. And I think that's why podcasts and platforms like yours are so important because it is not just a top-down thing. Yes, we all want our leadership to drive certain cultural shifts that need to happen, but cultural shifts are going to happen the more each of us as employees decide that we are not going to tolerate certain behaviors in our workplaces anymore. And that is how things change. And and I know I, I mentioned kind of when I wrote to you about this, the power of allies is I had a, I had a friend. She was a white woman. And she was the only person that actually spoke life into me when I was dying at work. And so oftentimes people always want to know what they can do. And I tell people, do not ever discount the value that you as a bystander, perhaps as someone in the privileged class brings, because I know for a fact, I'm willing to put my hand on the Bible that had she not spoken up and she had a she had a corporate sponsor mentor that she went to on my behalf and said i don't really i i what they're doing to her is wrong what do i do about it 
And I, I will always believe that had she, as a white woman, never spoken up on my behalf, nobody ever would have paid attention. And I would have just been another woman of color in that company that left without a job because I was being bullied every day. So did you, how did you leave then? If there's bullying and racially fueled bullying, obviously, like, you can't change them. I mean, you can try. You really can't take that out of them. Yeah, I, th- I think you get to a point where you realize exactly what you just said. And, and I, I tell people, but I tell my clients this all the time. We cannot change other people and we keep working because we think that we can change this person. And I think once it, once you've been targeted by a bully, you can't change their perception of you. There is no amount of work. It doesn't matter how early you come in or how late you stay or how many more committees you get on to them. You're still going to be the worst person on the team because that's what they've decided. And sometimes, or in most cases, I had to learn that I, I was going to validate my own experience because I was never going to get resolution from the company. The company was nobody from HR was going to come down and, and speak on my behalf and say, how dare you treat our employee this way? It wasn't going to happen because the, the cultural shifts that needed to happen, the toxicity in that environment had been going on so long that it was just, it was just an environment of, It was so-and-so's day yesterday. It's Zanika's day today. And so I had to learn that I, little old me, was not going to change that structure that day, that year. And I needed to do what I needed to do for myself. And so luckily, and I know that I am one of the lucky ones, I was able to find another job. I had been applying. I had been talking to people. Um... (laughs) On the days when I could do that, there were days, and I want to be very real about this. People always say, well, can't you just get another job? There were days I canceled job interviews because I just couldn't fake it. I couldn't show up to a job interview and tell anybody where I, where the hell I was going to be in the next five years. Right. No, it's it's rough interviewing for a job. I mean, it's not easy. And yeah, people that haven't really experienced these sort of situations that it's always easier than it sounds like why don't you just get another job no big deal like it ain't that easy it it wasn't that easy because because you know even that's a process right so if you're struggling to put your confidence together but you get rejected from job interviews we all know that's a part of the process so i'm kind of fighting that mental battle all the time but luckily i was one of the lucky ones and i was able to get another job and i kind of went i went crawling across the finish line into that next job. But the only reason that my, my eyes were kind of even opened was because that same ally, and I was at the point where I couldn't write emails. Now keep in mind, I am a communicator. That's what I do. I've always been a writer. I've always been speaking, but I was at the point where I couldn't write simple, basic emails. And when I say simple, basic emails, I mean emails that say, hey, Carly, I just want to follow up on the email I sent you last week. I was so broken that I was sending those over the fence to my teammate and saying, can you read this? Because that was a constant source of bullying every day. There's a typo in this email. How dare you send this email? You shouldn't be emailing this person because they're above your pay grade. Only I can email that person. Or if I spoke to to a colleague who might have happened to be a VP that I was working on a project with that was emailing me and I responded, I want to know why you emailed so-and-so. He's, he's a VP. Why are you emailing him? Wow. Like you don't have the right to email me because your title is below me? Well, because I, I think they, they felt like because I had been deemed the worst person on the team, it was almost this impression of you're not smart enough to email them. You're the worst person on the team. So we need to monitor who you're talking to and what you're saying to make sure that you don't say anything out of place. Talk about really feeling like you don't have a voice or you don't have any control and the fact that that it crushed you that much yet you you still were able to dig down and get your confidence and push through and crawl across the finish line bullying can lead to suicide I've, and that's just something nobody talks about 
nobody talks about it. But I, but I do want to just kind of circle back to that whole thing. So I'm sending these emails over the fence, right, to my friend. And she's kind of my buffer. And she finally says to me I, one day, I said, she's like, hey, you know, let's go to lunch. And I said, well, let me, would, would you take a look at this email really quick? And then we can go to lunch. And she kind of paused and she like, she stared at me. Like she turned her little chair in, in the cube farm and she looked at me dead on. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, I recognize that what they are doing to you is wrong, but I am not going to be a party to what you are doing to you anymore. You know how to write. You know how to send emails. You send that email. You even read it over one more time, but you push send on that, and then we're going to go have some pizza for lunch. She she was very sweet, but she was she was very serious in that moment. And that was the moment that I realized this is not normal. Everyone's not experiencing this. And I am not making this up in my head. The treatment that I am getting is wrong and other people are seeing this. And so when people think about, you know, how can I bring about change or, or people who are witnessing racism or whatever in the workplace, it doesn't have to be this big, like I'm putting everything on the line. It can literally be I'm going to speak life into this person so that they understand that they are not going crazy and they are not making this up. Yeah, because it takes one person to validate. It takes one person to see. And if somebody else can see what you see, now you can believe in I It's hard to believe yourself when nobody else believes you. Absolutely, but no one else. And at this point, I had gone. I had gone to leadership within the department. I had gone to HR, and everybody told me that I was going crazy. And you think about how many people had witnessed what she saw in that little area of the of the cubicles, and not one person ever said anything like that to me. And it wasn't until after I was out of that that department that then people started emailing me. Well, this person is this, and this person is that. And it was all the same people that were bullying me. And I just thought to myself, if you guys would have put this on paper, if you guys would have at least just said exactly what she said to a mentor or a VP or somebody that I don't know what to do, but I don't like what I'm seeing, think about how that team could have changed. It would have been a whole different team. And I think when we think about how do we change these big systemic issues, I really think that that's where it starts. It starts with just one person being just a little tiny bit courageous. And I'm not asking anybody to go out here and, and wave the red flag and risk your job and risk your livelihood here, right? But I'm just saying, wouldn't it be nice if one person just said, did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. Did you think that was wrong? Yeah, I did. What do you think we should do about it? And that's helping a whole lot, especially when you're talking about people who are different in the workplace, because oftentimes they're really not believed. And so sometimes just you telling somebody, I saw that too, is enough for at least somebody to do something on that person's behalf. Like you say, even if you can't change the employer, you can't change the situation, you can help that person who's being targeted find it within themselves to see and make a change for themselves. Yeah. I mean, cause I, you know, she even told me like after that, she was the person that said, girl, you got to get out of here. <laughs> I mean, sometimes even that, like, Hey, I don't, I don't think this is going to work out different for you. What's your plan? Yeah. You, cause you need to leave because it's not going to change. Yeah. That's powerful. That's such a good message. Because a lot of times I'm thinking, how do we make this big change, this big shift? And really, it doesn't have to be huge. It's just the small things. So wrapping this up, do you have any closing thoughts or last remarks to share with my listeners? Maybe somebody going through a similar situation that you went through. Yeah, I would say my last thoughts, you know, my my toxic workplace was really fueled by by workplace bullying. And so that's kind of the lens that I I kind of see things through. But I would just say to to anybody who's who's listening who's in a toxic work environment, you know, start planning your exit strategy. And if you really can't 
kind of think about what that would look like because oftentimes people are like, I don't know what the next job is, right? Like I'm just trying to survive. This is gonna sound crazy, but I want you to just sit and dream about if you could do anything for work, if you could do anything to earn income, what would that look like? How do you wanna feel? What are the things that your, your, your colleagues say to you? How does your leadership treat you? What does your leadership believe? And just start there. And I promise you there's a little tiny thread there that you can kind of cling to. So really start thinking about what is your exit strategy? What is it going to be? But just also if that's too much for you, if it's too big and too flowery, just maybe think about the fact that you deserve to feel psychologically safe when you go to work. You deserve to have an environment that allows you to flourish because work, it's a relationship. They give you a paycheck, but you also give them your knowledge, your creativity, your time. And so you deserve an environment that allows you to show up as your best self so that they get what they paid for out of the relationship. And so do you. Wise words from Zanika Chapman. Zanika, thank you for your courage and sharing your story. I'm sure it's going to inspire many of the listeners who are struggling to find their voice and their value. You can go to Zanika's website. It's ZanikaChapman.com. A link will be in the podcast notes. You can find more about her services and even get a free guide to recovering from workplace-related trauma all kinds of great resources. Zanika, thank you again for coming on to Toxic Workplace. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have a story to share, please go to ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Your story will be told anonymously. All names are changed to protect the employee and the company. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.